Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Paul is asking, how is it that you who call yourselves the people of God think that you can go on living sinful, selfish lives and still inherit the kingdom of God? He tells them that they can't. He tells them that that idea is a deception. And there's a huge deception that's come upon the minds of some in the church today. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, in a message titled, Those Who Won't Inherit the Kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we are in our series, Everyday Discipleship. And you know our text for this series is 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to look at these few verses. And let me remind you, I've mentioned before how relevant and applicable This letter to the Corinthians is to us today living in the 21st century. And one of the reasons that is the case is because the world has become once again pagan. So the gospel went into a thoroughly pagan world. The only people in the world that believed in the one true God was Israel the Jewish people. Everybody else were pagans. They were idolaters. They believed in multitudes of gods and so forth. And the gospel came into the world in the first century and permeated throughout the world, many cultures, and turned the world from a pagan, much of the world, not all of it, but turned much of the world from a pagan world to a world that was under the influence of the one true God. But now as time has passed, the world, especially the West, is rapidly returning to the way it was before the gospel entered it and brought God's standards of righteousness to bear upon how people live. And so as sin overflows in the culture, it inevitably makes its way into the church. That's what was happening in Corinth, and that's what is happening in the church today. And we've seen this over and over and over again. It often starts with the leadership in the church compromising And then it trickles down to the congregational level where sin just is welcomed in and it is allowed. This was happening in Corinth. This is what Paul is pushing back strongly against here. But like I said, this is happening today. I just read this article. Let me read it to you. It's comes out of the UK. The Archbishop, here's the headline, the Archbishop of Canterbury and York, the Archbishops, plural, there's two of them, 
unwilling to support school chaplain suspended for defending traditional views on LGBT during a sermon. So that, that's the heading. So here's what the article says. The archbishops of Canterbury and York are facing criticism after it emerged that neither is willing to support the school chaplain who was suspended and reported to an anti-terrorism program for questioning his school's new LGBT policies. Reverend Dr. Bernard Randall was made redundant, that means he was fired, from Trent College, a, listen to this, Church of England school near Nottingham. After he gave a talk, so he was fired, after he gave a talk encouraging pupils to question the school's LGBT policies, arguing everyone has the right to hold traditional views on marriage, sexuality, and gender. So that was his position. You don't have to go with this new policy. Now, the most reverend Justin Welby, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the most reverend Stephen Cottrell, he is the Archbishop of York, are said to have declined publicly supporting Reverend Dr. Randall after Christian Concern, this is a, a legal group, who is representing the chaplain, urged them to do so. So they declined to do this after they were asked to. The Bishop of Derby, right, Reverend Libby Lane, was also asked to come out in support of the Reverend Dr. Randall, but denied the request. Andrea Williams, CEO of Christian Concern, told the Daily Mail, the Daily Mail is a UK newspaper, it is incredibly disappointing, but sadly not surprising that the leadership of the Church of England have failed to speak up in support of Dr. Randall. Where is Justin Welby on this issue? So in case you missed anything, so here's what you have. You have a Church of England college. So it's a college that is actually run by the Church of England who has now implemented a pro-LGBT program or ethos into their school you have a Church of England professor, or chaplain in this case, who says, basically stands up for the biblical position and gets fired by the school, gets reported to anti-terrorism group. That was thrown out immediately, but nevertheless, they reported him. And then you've got the two heads of the Anglican church refusing to weigh in and to give him any support. That is what we're talking about. And that's not just happening in Britain. That's happening all over the world, particularly all over the Western world. And the reason this happens, as I said, is because the church compromises, and it be, the compromise begins in the leadership always, and then it makes its way down to the people. So the strong warnings Paul gave to them then in Corinth, we can see are relevant to us today. So let's just catch up to where we're at. Paul, having sternly rebuked them, for number one, their 
what he called fleshly behavior, their fleshly behavior seen in their tolerance of sexual immorality. We saw that in the fifth chapter. Sexual immorality, a kind of sexual immorality that even the pagans wouldn't allow for. So he rebuked them for that. Then he's just been rebuking them for their swindling and suing one another. Paul now asks, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So now he's just going to get really firm with them. This behavior that you're engaging in, this is the kind of behavior that is wrong. And those who persist in this type of behavior, Paul says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. To paraphrase, Paul is asking, how is it that you who call yourselves the people of God think that you can go on living sinful, selfish lives and still inherit the kingdom of God? He tells them that they can't. He tells them that that idea is a deception. It's a huge deception that's come upon the minds of of these Corinthians. And there's a huge deception that's come upon the minds of some in the church today. So now he goes on to state when he says that the wrongdoers or the unrighteous, most translations except uh, the NIV and the NLT use unrighteous. But the idea is the same. The unrighteous, who is he talking about? And so he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this list is not an exhaustive list of unrighteousness. This is one of two other similar lists that Paul spells out in his writings. So when Paul wrote to the Galatians in the fifth chapter, the 19th to the 21st verse, he said something similar. Let me read it to you. He said, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying essentially the same thing. He just adds some to the list. Then he goes on and he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, on one more occasion, Paul gives a similar word. Now, in each one of these, he says, do not be deceived. So Paul understands that this can be very deceptive. And this is what's happening today. People are being deceived. Deceived into thinking 
that it doesn't really matter how one lives because after all, God is love and God loves everybody and it's not about my behavior per se in, in whatever area I might be considering, but, but it's really just about God's love and I believe in God, a God of love, so everything's going to be okay. Now, the third time he says this in writing to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter, the third through the sixth verse, he says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed or obscenity. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So this, I'm pointing out these other passages for two reasons. Number one, to show you that this isn't an isolated thing. This is the New Testament. This is the New Testament standard of ethics. This is how God calls his people to live. And these are the things that God calls his people away from. But what I want to do now is I want to look at, you know, just walk through the rest of the text. I'm not going to spend the time to go into detail on the things that are mentioned here, sexual immorality. They're, they're pretty self-explanatory, right? So but what I want to do is I want to look at a few things. I want to look at just this, the idea of wrongdoing. Because, of course, people today would say, well, that's not wrong. So the question is... Who says what's right or wrong? Now, we live in a time where it seems that whatever the majority thinks, that becomes the rule of the day. So since most people think that there's no problem with a lot of these things, I mean, you know, take premarital sexual relations today. I mean, you go out in the world and you, you take a survey. How many people are you going to find that actually think that's wrong? I mean, most people today just assume that, well, of course you can have sex before you get married. I mean, how would you even know if you're sexually compatible with the person you're going to marry unless you had sex before? That's the reasoning today. So the majority of people in the culture pretty much would say that it's not wrong to have sex. And because the majority say it, then that seems to be, well, that settles it. But that doesn't settle it because it's not the majority that sets the standard for right and wrong. We believe, as I'm speaking as a Christian, we believe that, that God sets a standard. But, but that's where the battle lies. The battle lies right there because the atheist, the humanist, the Marxist, all say that man is the measure. Man is the measure. Man alone determines right and wrong. Mark said this. He said the consciousness of man is the supreme divinity. Arthur Briggs, a humanist, said, a humanist is one who believes that man is the center of the universe. Another humanist J.A. Auer of Harvard amplified that definition. This is what he said. He said, man would worship God 
if man felt that he could admire God. But if not, if God fell below the level of moral excellence which he, man, has set up, he would refuse to worship him. That is humanism, according to our man is the measure of all things. That is the philosophy that we live right in the midst of today. And that thinking is making its way into the church. Man is the measure. Now, it it used to be that man and his mind, man and reason, that was going to be the new rule. But we've even gone beyond that now. Reason is no longer king. What is king now? King now is feeling. So, You can look at something and it's reasonably incorrect. But if you feel like it's a certain way, then then that's what it is. So we've gone beyond reason. I mean, reason was a big enough problem, thinking that man could just reason himself into goodness and so forth, which obviously never happened. But now we move beyond reason to to feeling. So what is it? Who says what is right or wrong? The Bible says God is the one who tells us what is right and what is wrong. I mean, after all, even the things that we intuitively think are right and wrong, where did they come from? Who said you shall not murder or steal or lie or envy or commit adultery? Who said that? Guess what? God said that. These are not the rules that human beings came up with. Wherever you find these in a culture, like in our culture, some of them are still embedded in our culture, guess where they came from? They came from the influence of God's word through the Christian faith. That's how they came into being in the culture. And so everyone knows intuitively that to murder is wrong, to steal is wrong, to lie is wrong, to envy is wrong, and so forth. We know that intuitively, and we also know that by observation. We can see the pain, the hurt, the damage, the misery, the suffering that these things cause when they are participated in. And the only ones who don't see that, I think truly are people who have been brainwashed. Now, of course, the secular world would look at us and say, well, these poor Christians have been brainwashed. Well, we look at them and say the same thing. You know, I've often heard this argument like, how come all the educated people in the world, you know, how can they all understand that, that, you know, these, these things are good and right, and so forth, and it's just the uneducated people that don't get it. Well, the answer is simple. The educated people have been brainwashed. They've sat in classrooms under people with these ideas who have imposed them on them, and they've been intimidated into believing them because, after all, this PhD person says that this is the way it ought to be. And if I disagree with that and everybody around me agrees with that, I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to be foolish, so I better just get in line. 
So everybody believes the same thing because nobody wants to think for themselves. They call themselves free thinkers, but the fact of the matter is they're not thinking at all. That's what is happening in our culture. So wrongdoing, Paul calls them wrongdoers, or again, the translation, the unrighteous. Doing what is wrong. God's the one who determines what is right and wrong. Now, what does he say? He says that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, I think it can have two applications. And the obvious one is speaking about the kingdom of God in the future, speaking about the fact that after we die, there is a judgment, and that judgment will determine where we spend eternity, those who live like this will not be with God in his eternal kingdom. That's the obvious. But there's another, I think, application as well. Because as we talked about before, the kingdom of God is present now. And the present description of the kingdom of God was given by Paul in Romans, where he said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so think about it. Paul's speaking to people who are believers. They claim to believe in Jesus. But they're living contrary to what God has clearly called them to. And so in the sense of how we just described the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, living like this, they're never going to, they'll never inherit the kingdom. They'll never experience that righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit as long as they're living like that. And you know, this is the state of some Christians. Some Christians, they, they want the, the righteousness, the, the peace, the joy of the Holy Spirit, but they don't make the connection between their unrighteous living, their wrongdoing, and their lack of righteousness, peace, and joy. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my favorite subjects is that of apologetics. And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend Paul E. Little's book, Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, 
backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be. 